Psalm 130 seems as though we almost pause in our ascent and consider our state, Um, but I think it's worthwhile to take a look at. So I'll read Psalms 130 to begin, and it reads as follows, a song of ascent. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so if correctly read, that's the chapter of Psalms 130. And as usual, I want to try and take a closer look at what we can learn from this psalm. So as I said, these are songs of ascent. We talked about the imagery that may have been where those who were taking a yearly or an annual pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, would descend down into the valley before they went up into the mount that Jerusalem was built on. But we said that that imagery only carries us so far when we look at these selection of chapters. But here we see almost a pause, and I will point out, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. You ever found yourself in the depths and cried out to the Lord? I think for some, maybe maybe the many who aren't here today, you may find yourself there today. Out of the depths. I know that probably all of us have found ourselves at some time or another feeling that way. Down, stuck where we don't want to be, down in the valley of life where we don't, want to be, and we cry out, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. You ever been caught down so far that that's basically all you can do? Just say, oh God. Hmm. Often, it's at that point when we are brought to our lowest state that we never cease to pray. And many of you have gone through a great crisis in your life, whether it's been recently, whether it's today or sometime past, will likely agree with me that at those times when we seem to be the lowest we can possibly get are the times when we speak the loudest to our Lord, that we cry out for the mercy that only he can give us. And that is a right and correct behavior to have, that when we are in the depths, we cry out to him O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. And sometimes it would seem that the more distressed that we are, the more that we are struggling, the more excellent our faith becomes, the more excellent our trust becomes, and the more excellent our appeals to Him become. I'm not going to speak too much on behalf of those who aren't here, but I will say recently one of us experienced the depths. 
And the testimony I heard shortly after enduring was, it's proved my faith. That my faith is stronger than I realized because of this. And sometimes when we are caught in a tragedy and we look up from the depths, we realize that our faith, our trust, and our fervent appeal to the Lord for mercy is stronger than we realized. And sometimes these struggles teach us a valuable lesson and encourage us to be more earnest, more faithful in our prayers. Notice here it says, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Notice it doesn't say answer my prayers. I'll just speak for myself. I'm very opinionated. Don't laugh too hard. It's very easy for me to pray to the Lord and tell him what I want. And that's okay. The Lord understands. But the psalmist here tells us, just cry out to the Lord. Didn't say ask for anything. You ever gotten what you didn't deserve? You ever been withheld from what you did deserve? Many, many times when I cry out from the darkest moment, the thing that I would have asked for is not what I needed. I see some head shaking. And so when we are in that time, when we are crying out from the depths, our duty and our job is simply just to cry out to him to say, Lord, hear my voice. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, not to ask for anything specifically because we are not wise enough to know what we really need. And how many times have we been taught that when I have asked for something and it has not been granted to me? Only later do I realize what a blessing it was that I didn't get what I asked for. And so our lesson here, when we are in the depths, is to cry out to the Lord, to ask Him to hear our voice, and simply to be attentive to what He has to say and beg for mercy. It is better for our prayers to be heard than for them to be answered. Let me say that again. It's better for our prayers to be heard than to be answered at least answered in the way that we want them to happen. I want to make one other note about this first and second verse. It says to cry out. There is value in speaking your prayers audibly. There really is. I've told this story many a times. I'm just going to tell part of it. Uh, a few months before I was saved, I was talking with someone after coming back from a weekend youth trip, and that was a great experience, and I was super on fire for the Lord. And I said to him, I wish things would always stay this way. And he looked at me and said, well, it can be. How's your prayer life? And I was honest and said, yeah, I don't have one of those. And he said, well, you should. Do it just like you're talking to me. And that intrigued me, and I remember going to my bed that night and just talking out loud, not silently, out loud. It wasn't like I was shouting it in my bedroom. I was just speaking as I am to a friend, because you know what? Well, he wasn't them, but he was getting ready to be my friend. And I just talked. A few months later, when I fell to my knees under my conviction, realizing that I was not one of his, I began to speak in prayers out loud while a hundred other people walked by me. I didn't care who listened. I didn't care who was around. I was going to tell the Lord with my own lips 
where I was at. I was going to beg with my own mouth for forgiveness. There is power and there is purpose in speaking out loud. Many of the small churches that Amy and I attended, they'd pray out loud. I've asked for you all to do that a time or two, and some of you told me it was a little odd. And it is a little strange sometimes. I remember going to college, showing up for the first week, Small Baptist College, about 3,500 students. We came early for three or four days to do a Bible study. And I remember them asking us all to pray out loud. You ever heard 3,000 people pray out loud? (laughs) It's moving. It's moving to hear, it's like a murmur. It's like a wind. And I remember pausing and looking up and just thinking, God hears every single one of these. We can all pray. The entire world could pray at once and we could all do it out loud. And the Lord would hear individually every single one of us. Is He not an amazing God? Let us not forget. While there is certainly a time to be quiet and to be still, there is a time to speak, to pray, to talk out loud. The psalm continues, If you, O Lord, should mark inequities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This certainly runs right up against our culture today, which is all about self. And as long as it makes you happy, then it's okay. The reality is there is right and there is wrong. There is truth and there is false in this world. It has been revealed to us not only spiritually through a God who has made creation for us to know right and wrong, but for those of us who have, and I say the blessing and luxury of the scriptures here, we have a written word to tell us what is right and what is wrong and how we should live. And when we stand before God based on what he has told us to do and what he has told us not to do, we realize we are woefully unprepared. That's what this is talking about. Our iniquities, the things that we do that are wrong. Who of us can stand before a perfect God? The answer is no one. Not even close. Could we stand before the one who was holy, who is perfect, who has never acted wrongly, who has never thought wrongly? Even the best of us, For however long our thoughts be traced, and the scriptures tell us that's enough to be in sin. So who can stand before him? None of us. The only one who can stand before God is who? Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrated on Sunday. That's why Easter is important, because he took our sins and he was able to be the sacrifice for us. That is the forgiveness that we have. If it were not for Jesus Christ, then we have no hope and we cannot stand before the Lord. But we can when we've been forgiven. But with you, with God, there is forgiveness. And when you are forgiven, what results, as it says here, that you might be feared? 
And I won't spend much time on this uh, word feared, but just one more time to clarify. Fear is a certain reverence and respect that we have for who God is. It does not mean that we run and cower and hide, that we're afraid that he might hurt us. But we are fearful in that we have a reverence for him. And so without that forgiveness, we cannot stand before him. With that forgiveness, when we are forgiven for our sins, we can then stand before him because he doesn't see the sin that we do. He only sees the sacrifice that his son made for us. Picking up again in verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. And then it repeats, more than watchmen for the morning. If there's a word our culture hates, it has to be wait. We have become such an instantaneous society and culture. It's really kind of ridiculous. Everything we do, we want it right away, right now. I could go on with examples, but you're probably thinking of a few. We get impatient with the microwave. We get impatient when it takes Netflix to download an entire movie in five seconds. We want everything. This is why so many are dissatisfied in their station in life, because they, in my experience, will graduate college and go to their first job, and they don't want to wait for the promotion. They just want it like right away. We could go on and on and on, but if there's one thing we don't like in our society and are not good at, it's waiting. We've been here before as a church, haven't we? Waiting for him, and for him alone is what we should do. And we also must remember that the word wait means to bind together. I've said this before. This idea that if we are waiting on the Lord, which the scripture tells us to do repeatedly means that we are inactive and doing nothing is wrong. In our view, in our society, when we wait for something, it's like we just cross our arms and we stand there and we're just waiting. But the reality is when we are waiting for the Lord, it means that we should be bound together. Bound together with who? With Him. We should do it with our, all of our hearts and we should be seeking to bless those who are waiting with us. Isaiah 30 and 18 says this, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And again, this does not indicate that we should do nothing. If you have not been saved and you are seeking to be saved, then you should bind yourself up with who? With the Lord. You should seek after him and wait by working to grow closer to him. If you are waiting for your prayers to be heard when you are in the depths, you should be binding yourself or growing closer to him. He is worth waiting for. And when you properly wait for the Lord, it's time never wasted. 
The psalmist is telling us here, more than a watchman who's waiting for the morning is how you wait for the Lord. Well, that's a few hours, isn't it? You see, if we think back to that time and that culture without electricity and it was dark, that is the time when the enemies came, whether they be animals, whether they be other people. And so they would put people at a watch and they would be waiting for the morning. Now, they were busy while they were waiting. They were making the rounds. They were checking to make sure things were okay. Whatever duties that they had assigned to them, they were doing those things, but they were longing for, they were waiting for that light to come. That assurance to come, that hope that comes every morning, for that sun to come up, they were waiting for it. How many of us have waited all night for a prayer to be answered? How many of us wait no more than just a couple of seconds, maybe long enough for us to say, Lord, I need this, and then move on? How better would it be for us when we are in the depths, to wait, to bind closer to the Lord for His timing, to wait patiently, to have hope for what is coming. In His word do I hope, is what the Scripture says. Those who do not hope cannot wait. Let me conclude with the last two verses. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all its inequalities. And again, we go back to the sin. With us there is sin, but hope is ours because with the Lord there is mercy. If you remember the last chapter, we need to look outside of ourselves. For the source of our hope. How many times do we start waiting and end up gaining our own strength, looking inside of ourselves rather than to the Lord for our own hope? Or how many times do we go to a brother or a sister or a friend and ask them for the help when we should be waiting on the Lord and gain our strength through them? Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Don't hope in yourselves, don't hope in your neighbor. Don't hope in your family. Don't hope in your pastor. Hope in the Lord because he and he alone is the only one who can truly answer the prayers when you are in the depths, when you cry out unto the Lord. Because with him, as the scripture says, is plentiful redemption. It says he will redeem Israel. Well, who else's name is Israel? Well, Jacob. Jacob waited. And he found himself wrestling with an angel. You remember this story. And he was waiting for the dawn as well. He wrestled all night. And finally the angel challenged him. What's your name? I've mentioned this before. Do you think the angel didn't know who he was wrestling with? No. What does Jacob's name mean? Deceiver. Here's what I think. I think Jacob had to face the facts of who he was. He is not a good man. 
We listen to the stories about Jacob and we extol the virtues that he had, but think of the things that he did that were not good. Think of the inequalities, the sin that you and I commit. We like to trick ourselves into thinking somehow we are holy, somehow we are good. And it was not until Jacob said his own name and admitted who he was to God that there was a change. Sometimes we wrestle with our own pride. We wrestle against the Lord with everything that we have. And until we admit who we are, until we say to the Lord, these are my sins, these are my inequalities, these are the things which I cannot overcome, I cannot stand before you, will the Lord finally bless us when we finally admit who we are, which is in reality horrible, wretched sinners. We have inequalities, we have sin that deserves punishment, and there is no salvation apart from redemption. That's what it said at the end of verse 7. And with him is plentiful, much redemption. Redemption, my favorite uh, dictionary, the act of procuring the deliverance of a person or things from the possession and power of captors by payment of an equivalent, or a really short one, a ransom. You see, the reality is we have sinned against God. And the only way that we can be forgiven is that there is a redemption. There is a ransom that is paid. And Jesus Christ paid that for us. And until we put our faith in him, until we wait on the Lord as is required and seek after him, It is not effective. And so we must remember that if we want to be redeemed, we must seek after his steadfast love, not our own. And so when we find ourselves in the depths and crying out to the Lord, let us be careful to come humbly to him, to admit our faults, to come to him and say, here I am. I don't know which way to turn. I cannot make up for the things that I've done. I'm just going to cry out to you and beg for your mercy and then wait, collectively grow closer to the Lord. Wait for him to answer. Wait for him to deliver you. This is the stance we should have for salvation. This is the stance we should have for everything, every problem that we come to our lives. We should come to him and simply cry out to him and wait for him, grow closer and be obedient to him so that he can redeem us. Now here's a somewhat hard shift to chapter 131. There's only three verses, so if you're checking your clock, don't worry. I'll start by confessing this. I could probably spend a week of Sundays on this chapter alone. In preparing for this, I am just certain that I have talked about it from the pulpit, but I could not find any any reference in any of my notes. So if I repeat myself, I apologize. This verse has both blessed and tormented me. I found it somewhere around mid-crisis, if you will, about a year ago. It reads as follows, Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. 
My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. My heart is not lifted up. Perhaps your version says, my heart is not haughty. We really need to examine our hearts. This is really, really important. It's something that we should do on a repeated basis to investigate and consider where my heart is. And by this, we mean where my intentions are where my pride is. The center of who we are, we refer to it as our heart, our nature. If there is pride within our hearts, it defiles or messes up everything else in our lives. And we have to start there. We have to start with our pride that we have within our own hearts. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And you say, well, wait a second. These things seem to counteract each other. I just told us we have to consider our own heart. At the same token, I'm reading to you that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts will mislead us. It will trick us. We must constantly evaluate my desires, my thoughts, my pride, everything about who I am with who? With him. You see, these chapters do tie in together. We must wait on the Lord as we grow closer to him and allow him to reveal the intense desires that I have within my own heart, even when I can't see them. Sometimes we don't know that we're prideful. Sometimes we don't know that we're arrogant. Sometimes we can't see that we're being unloving to a friend or a family member because we feel justified in how we feel toward them. Sometimes our heart will trick us into thinking we're doing the right thing when in reality we are living a life contrary to him. So we must be careful to make sure that our hearts are not lifted up too high. Maybe this will help as well if your translation says something about being haughty. That means, that is to say, neither proud of his opinion of himself, contemptuous of others, nor self-righteous before the Lord, neither boastful of the past, proud of the present, or ambitious for the future. Let me read that again and see where you find yourself. So when we say, my heart is not haughty, it means this. This is to say, neither proud in his opinion of himself, contemptuous of others, self-righteous before the Lord, neither boastful of the past, proud of the present, or ambitious for the future. Now, I would just guess 
that in reading that, at least one of those stuck out to you about yourself a little more than the others, didn't it? Somewhere in that list of things, whether you are self-righteous before the Lord, you have a proud opinion of yourself, you contempt others, you are boastful about the past, you're proud of the present or ambitious about the future. These are things that have no place between us and the Lord. And if we want to grow closer to the Lord, if we want to go back to the previous chapter and be lifted up out of the depths, then we must remove these things from our heart. Not in a surface level way, but in a deep way. So we ought to challenge, we ought to really consider our own hearts. Are we proud? Are we self-righteous? Are we ambitious of the future? Are we boastful? Are we contemptuous of others? Because these things, when they're in our heart, prohibits us from communicating to the Lord. David said, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. This is why I said this short little book is such a challenge. That's really hard to say. Can you say that? I'll be honest with you. I don't don't think that I can. I don't think I can stand here today and say that I have met this goal, that my heart is not lifted up. Of course, it says, nor my eyes be lofty. As I mentioned this morning with the children, What the heart desires, we look at. And what we look at, our heart desires. We must be careful where we place our eyes. And then he goes on and says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Or neither do I exercise myself in great matters. We're talking about David here. He's king. Think about the great matters that he cared about. Now, he didn't build the temple. It wasn't allowed. But he got everything needed. Which means he had to oversee everything being got, being brought to the site, so that someday someone else could build it. He had to design the plans and leave the plans. And trust me, this was an amazing building. As such, had probably not really been seen its equal. Seems pretty lofty to me, doesn't it? to build up and raise a kingdom, to lead people. So what is it that he is talking about? I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Sometimes it's enough just to cry out to the Lord. I plan, I scheme, I think about the future. And in reality, sometimes I just need to cry out to the Lord and say, have your way. We must be careful that we do not go too far in great matters. I want to read a quote about this uh, from Charles Spurgeon. It says, many through wishing to be great have failed to be good. You could almost just stop right there, but it doesn't. Many who wish to be great have failed to be good. Think about that with my favorite people to pick on. Politicians. Many who fail, who want to be great, have failed to be good. But it doesn't stop there. Think about the person who supervises you or your business leader, who strive and strive and strive for some position, but in doing so, fail to actually be good people. They were not content 
to adore the lowly stations with the, which the Lord appointed them. And so they have rushed at grandeur and power and found destruction when they looked for honor. Do we see how this goes back to the heart? Many times, in many ways, people will be thrust into leadership. And if it is the Lord who is guiding you, then by all means you should take hold of that and follow after the Lord. But we should not and cannot think so highly of ourselves to occupy myself with things that are above that I, things that I can handle. Maybe one of the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn. I can't handle everything. Some things are just too much. And I have to learn to be content to say the Lord knows and the Lord will help. I can only control this small section of people. This is all I have influence over. This is why I've tried not to read the news so much. Because I don't have any control over a shooting in Colorado. I don't have any control over the border of any country. Let's be honest, I don't even have any control over how much I get taxed in my own county or anything. And so here, I occupy myself with things that I cannot control. And because I'm only capable of thinking and praying and being concerned about so much at a time, the things that I can influence and I can control, my family, my friends, my church, I abandon for the things that I can't. Do we see how dangerous this is? Oh, if we were to only spend more time focusing on those who we have influence over than the things that we don't. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. That's going to vary and change by each person. We all have people that we can impact and things that we should do. Again, a whole nother lesson. Be careful not to claim this verse unless it's true. There's not much worse than claiming our own humility when it's false. You ever known people like that? You ever done it yourself? <laughs> I don't know that I'm ever going to be fully able to claim Psalm 131 and 1. But one thing I do know I should try the rest of my life. The second verse says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Notice who calms and quiets? I do. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Brothers and sisters, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I tend to get myself in a mess, all worked up over things I can't control. And it takes me who removes myself from these, who shifts my vision from the things that I can't control to the things that I can. I need to be the one who calms and quiets myself before my God. How do we do that? Well, as the previous chapter says, out of the depths I cry to you. It's not easy. Society makes it hard. Social media and the constant influx of things we have to worry about makes it very hard to come quietly before the Lord. But we are to do it. How? As children. We talked about here, children 
weaned with its mother. In other words, coming off a mother's milk. Children don't do this on their own. And it's not always a pleasant experience. There can be a lot of tears and gnashing of, well, gums, (laughs) right? Wanting that milk because it's easier, because it's good. But the reality is, what comes is better. How many times have we fought bitterly to stay where we're at, to continue getting what we have, when what we fail to realize is we are made for something better? I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. It's a struggle sometimes, but it has a great benefit. One of the benefits is this, is you can lay your head on your mother's chest and no longer be begging for something. Think about that for a minute. John 13, 23. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was leaning against Jesus' chest. Do we only pray when we want something? Or do we ever sit quietly, having been weaned from these little necessities and these little bothers, and just spend time with him? Can we be like John? Just lay our head over. Not because we want something. Not because we're hungry. But just to be content and to be satisfied. So ask yourself, have you allowed the Lord to take away the milk so that you can feast on the food that he has to offer? We must quiet ourselves and we must be weaned. The last verse is the transition from the first two. It says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, and from this time forth forevermore. What we see here is an example of a man who has quieted his own soul, who has not sought things that are above him, who has been careful to look at the right things, and who has allowed himself to be weaned off of his mother's milk so that he can find true contentment in the Lord. And what happens? He turns and looks to others. O Israel, hope in the Lord. This shift from looking within ourselves to looking and calling out for others to find the same contentment. I think if you consider your life, the time that you have done this the best, and there are seasons in our lives when this verse and series of verses is more real to us than others, is there not? Times when we follow after the Lord closely, and what do we find? Not only are we more content, but our desire is for others to experience the same. And I think that's what David is saying here as well. He's quieted his soul. He's content. And his hope is in the Lord. And he wants all of Israel to know this. David thinks of himself. I'm sorry, thinks of others before himself. Trying desperately to tell the people, look at what I have found. Look at where the hope is. Look at the contentment that I have. Not being haughty, not being prideful, but focusing on. On the Lord, and my focus shifts to others. So, where do you find yourself today? Do you feel like you are 
calling out from a deep hole? Do you feel like you're in a deep hole? Because if you are, then the answer is to call out to Him just to call and to wait for an answer. And that waiting is a time when you can spend becoming closer to Him. If you are not in the hole, if you are living your life and walking around upright, not experiencing a great turmoil, then the question is, do you have pride within your own heart? Are you lifting yourselves up? Are you concerning yourself with things that you cannot control, that cannot matter to you because you have no way to influence them and ignoring the very things that you can? Have you allowed the Lord to take from you the easy things and give you something more challenging? No one wants to come off the milk because they don't know what's out there that's better. You ever given an infant a little bit of sugar or something that tastes really good and watch their face? It's beautiful, isn't it? The reality, I think, is that the Lord wants to do that to us. But too many times we're too frightened to let him. We want to hold on tightly to what it is that we have. Because we think that it's better. And he is desperately wanting to give us something else. The meat to chew on. Something else for us. And yet we refuse and we want to say little infants where we can always go and get what we want the moment we want it. What he wants is for us to be like John. To be chewing on the hard things of life. To enjoy life. And when the time comes for us just to lay our heads on him. Not because we want something but because we know that's the place to be. That's the comfort. And when we find that, it will be our desire to go and do what? To tell others about it, you see? That's what this is all about. It's our journey. It's our faith in Him. It's our hope. And it's His mercy and His love. It's because He redeemed us that we can then lay our heads on Him, not because we want something, but just to be with Him and to be content with Him. And so I challenge us. Are we content today? Are we relying on him or are we relying on ourselves? Are we proud or are we humble?